0: All right, you can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, please, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. And before we get into the sermon, let me congratulate Botma Connie. I know she's in the mother's room in the back. Congratulations, their baby was born this week. So praise God for that. Amen. We're praying hard. So amen. That's a brand new little baby. Great <laughs> yeah? choice, Rachel, the, the girl's name, wonderful, beautiful little baby. Uh, this, this provides me an opportunity to remind everyone we do have a mother's room, well, let's say the foyer we use as a mother's room, so if you need to take advantage of that, please feel free. We have a speaker set up back there so that you can still hear the service and, and be a part of what's going on. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 11, we'll just read one verse. And then pray about it. First, Thessalonians five and verse 11. Now, throughout this passage, the end of chapter four, the beginning of chapter five, Paul's talking about the Lord coming back, and something that we call the rapture. We don't find that word in the Bible, but it does the word itself does properly explain the event that will take place. And in verse 11, Paul tells us the two reasons that he told the Thessalonian church about the rapture. He says in verse 11, "Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do." So I'd like to preach to you for a few minutes this morning about being rapture ready, rapture ready. So let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, please help us now, Lord. We're going to enter in and try to look at what you've given us here in the Bible. And Father, you told us that when we look Uh, At prophecy we're looking through the glass darkly we can't see all the details but you've told us what we need to know I believe today you'll tell us what we need to hear please God speak to our hearts and help us to be more prepared better ready for this wonderful event and we ask it in Jesus name amen amen several years ago I was laying in bed in Malawi sleeping enjoying a great night's rest which is very rare and I began to dream And as I was dreaming, I I could have sworn that I was no longer dreaming. I could have sworn that the rapture had happened. I know now it was a dream. (laughs) Unless this is heaven. Is Pachistruma heaven? (laughs) No. Purgatory. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm not Catholic. I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) But I, I remember... I remember hearing... Now this is part of the dream, right? I heard the trumpet sound. And I felt the, the transformation of this mortal body turning into the immortal body. And because my beautiful wife was laying next to me and she is also saved... She was also transformed in a moment, in the blink of an eye. Boom! Off we went together, and because we love each other so much, I, I promise you this is how the dream went. We were holding hands as we—that's how you know you're madly in love, right? even with a twinkle in the air. And we flew. We were flying up through the clouds. We flew up into outer space. We were in the stars, passing by. That now this has nothing to do with the Bible. This is just my dream. We were going through the stars. And I I remember the joy that I felt. I don't think I've ever been that excited in my life. I mean, anything that's ever happened in my life, all the the joy that came over me. I know it was real because I woke up trembling. I woke up excited. My heart was beating fast. I know what I felt was real. Now, as we're flying up and I thought, Oh, here it is. It's happened. It's happened. We're going to see Jesus. We're going we're to see the Lord. And we're going on up. And then I look to my left as we're flying up to heaven. And exactly. That is perfectly timed. <laughs> Pro- probably better to mute that, but, but that is working out really well. I look to my left, and, and instead of seeing the stars as you would expect, I saw the American flag. <laughs> In, but it was red, white, and blue stars that had formed the shape of the American flag. And I remember as we were going up in the rapture, and I thought, well, really? Well, that's different. I didn't expect that. Still excited. And then I looked over and I saw the Israeli flag a, a, a white and blue star formation like the Israeli flag and that's when it began to dawn on me in my dream oh man this is just a dream this isn't the rapture and I woke up and I kid you not I was sweating I was excited my heart was racing I thought oh at least I know deep down I believe it (laughs) I, I can remember just how exciting that was to think that the day it actually happened and that in just a moment or two my faith was going to become sight that in just a moment or two I would for the first time lay lay eyes on heaven see the angels see the golden highway that leads up to the throne of God and kneel down at his feet and cry out with the cherubim and seraphim and with the four and twenty elders holy, holy, holy and take whatever crown that might be available I'll even borrow one if I have to and cast it at the Savior's feet I remember thinking how exciting that will be Now, if that's how exciting it can be just in my mind I can only imagine how great that day will be when it actually takes place when the trumpet sounds Today, this lesson is not going to be on the deep side of prophecy. I know a lot of people are interested to hear those things, and I am going to make a few comments about it. But I want to stick more to the passage here. The Apostle Paul knew very well how the events of prophecy would unfold. And yet the Apostle Paul did not take a lot of time to describe the sequence of the events. He does mention it, no doubt. And I do believe that we can confidently say in the Bible that we are going to go up to heaven before before the battle of Armageddon takes place on the earth. I believe in in what what is called a pre-tribulation rapture. So you understand the tribulation is something that we... That's a word that we use to refer to the seven years... Of trouble that are going to happen on the earth before the Lord comes down, fights the battle of Armageddon, and then he will rule on this earth for a thousand years. It's what we call the millennium. It's a Latin word meaning thousand years. I, I believe Revelation 19 makes this very clear. We are already up in heaven before the Lord comes down riding on that white horse to fight the battle. So we're already there. So I know we go up. Before the Lord comes down to fight. We're already there. So the idea of, and this is how some folks approach it. That the Lord is coming down to fight that battle. And that we get called up. And we meet him in the air. Do a U-turn and come right back down to the earth. I don't believe that. And, and I, I don't believe that because of Revelation 19. Another good idea. Man, I'm having lots of them this morning. In Revelation chapter 5, we read that before any of the seals... Now, this is... If you know Revelation at all, Revelation chapter 6 speaks of a book that has seals. And when you break those, Jesus will break the seals. And those seals, as they are broken open, they lead to the events that we know as the great Tribulation. And before Jesus breaks those seals, I believe in Revelation 5 you can read about us being up in heaven. Now, I've taught you guys here in the church, I've taught you that deeper stuff in another another lesson. So we're not going to concentrate on that today. When we read about Paul, or we read here Paul telling the Thessalonians about these things, about the Lord coming back. He doesn't go into all the sequence of events and how many years and this is first and that second He gives us two reasons. Comfort and edification. He says, I want you guys to know that the Lord is coming back. And here's how you're supposed to use this knowledge of prophecy. Comfort one another. Edify one another. He never said, argue about it amongst each other and split your church over it. Now, I I do believe that it is important to understand the Bible correctly. I, I believe that... If you ignore prophetical things and say, well, it doesn't matter. It's in the future. It doesn't matter what you believe. That says something about your approach to the Bible. But, guys, as I mentioned in my prayer, let's be honest. When we talk about prophetical things, we are looking through the glass darkly. We can only know what Jesus and what the Bible has revealed to us. We don't have all the answers. How old will you look when you get to heaven? Anybody know? My pastor, when I was in Bible school, he said, you're going to look 33 years old. Matter of fact, he taught that there will be no women in heaven. Now, now I got your attention. (laughs) Everybody just turned the channel back to me now. Yeah, now his idea, it's not that he had anything against ladies. It was just that he, he thought everybody will be transformed to look like Jesus. So everybody will look like a 33-year-old man, specifically Jesus. I I don't believe that. I I understand why he said that. I, I know the verses that he gave. I personally don't agree with that. How old will we look when we get there? I have no idea. Did you know this is why some people stop believing in the resurrection? It is. It's because they didn't know the answer to that question. What if you die at the age of 85? In the resurrection, will you be 85 forever? Uh, Please, apologies to all 85-year-olds, but do you really want to be that way forever? I'm coming, Jesus, I'm coming. (laughs) Maybe not, right? Maybe not. How old will we be? My answer to that is, I don't know. We will have a glorified, resurrected, eternal body. So my age, when they ask me on bank forms, how old are you? Eternal. (laughs) That's my age. I I don't know what that will look like. I'm not sure. I met one preacher. He said, no, no, that new body, it's actually going to be made out of gold. But gold so pure you can see through it. Because Revelation 21, New Jerusalem has gold so pure you can see through it. He said, our new bodies... We will look like ourselves on the outside, but made out of gold, and we can see through it and see Jesus on the inside. (laughs) That's an awesome doctrine that has nothing to do with the Bible. (laughs) I I answered the question this week on one of our uh, Bible Q&A vlogs. Somebody asked, how will time feel in heaven? Will we experience time the same way we do now? I have no idea. How will we digest food in the new body? I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. We'll find all that out when we get there. Amen. I've been asked this before. I've thought about this. What if we're wrong about the pre-tribulation part of the rapture? Now, the fact that we are going to go up before the Lord comes back, definitely. But what if we don't go up seven years before? What if we only go up three and a half years before? Or what if we only go up days before the second coming? What if? Now, like I said, I'm convinced of where I stand on that position, but what if? What if we go through the tribulation? And what if we do? What would it change? I would still stand for Christ. I would still try to preach the gospel. Nothing would change about how I live or how I feel about the Lord. I wouldn't feel let down at all. He doesn't owe me. He doesn't owe me a fulfillment of my doctrinal position. <laughs> you see? So if I'm wrong, it really doesn't change anything. People often say, well, you guys believe in a pre tribulation rapture because you're trying to escape all of the trouble. Nonsense. I think, I think that as time goes on, we are going to head towards persecution, and I believe Christianity will be treated much like it was in the early days of the church the closer we get to the Lord coming back. I don't think we escape that. I don't think we're immune to that just because we're saved. Can I prove it to you? Did you know that there are more people dying for Christ right now than there were in the first 300 years of the church? Did you know that? There are more martyrs today in the world than ever before in Christian history. You just don't feel it in South Africa yet. We don't feel it in America Yet. But even though I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I believe that one day our our time could come. We could have that blessed honor of suffering for Christ. So, regardless of whether it's seven years, three and a half, or where you place it, we're not talking about the doctrinal side of that today. Regardless of where you stand, you need to be rapture ready. Rapture ready. So there's two things, and my my sermon's quite simple today, just two points. We're going to look at the comforting aspect of the rapture, and then we'll look at the edifying side of it. So take your Bible, come to chapter 4, verse number 13. Chapter 4, verse number 13. The Bible says here, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now speaking about people that have passed away. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now those of you that have read the Bible much, that word hope stands out to you. In Titus chapter 2 verse 13, Paul says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So our blessed hope is Jesus appearing. So he says to these Christians, The Thessalonians have been persecuted heavily. You can read Acts chapter 17. When Paul passed through town, they, they pretty much ran him out of town with persecution. It got bad. And those early Christians were suffering, some of them unto death. So the, the apostle is now telling them, some of you have lost loved ones. And fine, you should sorrow. You, you miss them. But you don't sorrow as other people that have no hope of, of never seeing that loved one again. You as a believer, you know... That that Christian is now with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And one day when the trumpet sounds, you will also see that loved one again. You will be reunited. Verse 14, he's going to explain. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus. That is, they, they died as a believer. They sleep in Jesus. Will God bring With him, so when the Lord comes back, that person's soul is also present with him. Verse 15 For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. What, why does he say that? Paul says, I didn't make this up. This is not me, this is not my interpretation of Old Testament prophecy. Paul says, The Lord told me something very specific about these events. When it comes to the rapture, Paul told us this. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Paul says that these details about the rapture were a mystery revealed to him. What does that mean? That means you're not going to read about the rapture directly in the Old Testament. You're not going to read about it directly from the lips of Jesus. This was something that Paul revealed to the church. The Lord showed it to him. In verse number 15 again. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Shall not prevent them which are asleep. So the Christians that are alive. When the rapture happens. They will not go up before The Christians that have already died. The dead in Christ will be the first group to go up. So we will not pre-event them or prevent them. In verse number 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. With the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why do they get to rise first? Well you guys have heard me comment on this before. The only reason I can think is because they're six feet under and they need a head start. That's the only... I, don't, I know of no other reason. Amen. Verse number 17. Then we which are alive and remain. Do you know that's talking about you this morning if you're saved? That's talking about you. Verse 17. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where we get rapture. Rapture means to snatch up or to catch up. It says... We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We don't meet him in heaven. We meet him in the clouds. Then we proceed on. He, the Lord comes down to the clouds, calls us up. We meet him in the clouds. And we, then we go to heaven. We stay there for seven years while the tribulation is happening. Then we'd come back. But it says once we've met the Lord. Uh, this is the nice part at the end of verse 17. Underline this. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I like that part. I like that part. We sing that song. I love love to hear you guys sing. You guys sing so, so good. I love to hear the whole church raise their voice. One collective unit praising God together. That's great. When you guys start singing about, and he walks with me. And He talks with me along life's narrow way. One day, faith turns to sight. And instead of walking and talking by faith, one day, one day we get to sit down at the Savior's feet and we get to hear and see the words coming from His mouth. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I never have to walk by faith again. Which means you only got one shot at walking by faith now. Better do it right. He says in verse 18, wherefore. Why would you tell us this, Paul? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul does not say, because of this rapture doctrine, you Christians should not expect any bad things to happen to you. You'll escape all the troubles and tribulations. We'll go up before. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say because we believe in a rapture, we miss out on problems. He tells us because we believe in a rapture, when the problems happen, we have something to support us. We have something to comfort us and to give us hope in those difficult times. I think all of us can amen this. We look forward to vacations, don't we? Amen. Some of you just coming off vacation, you need to nod and say amen right there because you're already looking forward to the next one, right? I've been reading these books on how to de-stress your life and one of the things that a lot of of authors and doctors recommend is as soon as your vacation ends, like while you're driving back or on the plane coming back or whatever the case is, start planning the next vacation. Amen. I like that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm all for that. Why? Because now you got something to look forward to. I can work hard for the next so many weeks or months, but I know there's going to be a break. You students about to start back to university, I bet you know when all the school breaks are in the year, don't you? There's one in this month, there's one in that month, got two weeks here, got a month there. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good for us to know there is a break coming. There is rest in our future. If you don't know... That one day you get to lay your burdens down, it can make this life very troublesome. Very difficult to handle with all the pressures and heartaches, sorrows and losses. As soon as you get done with one vacation, start planning the next. It's a comforting thought. Now while you're on vacation, you don't have to work, right? But, but when you get back from vacation, you need to work. So what did Jesus say? He said... Here, are, He gave ten servants, one pound apiece, and he said, Occupy till I come. Our vacation's coming. It's a comforting thought to know, Okay, I'm laboring for the Lord and there's some difficulties here and there, but I, I don't have to deal with these persecutions and difficulties forever. One day my labor will be done. One day the work will be worth it all. I'll get to lay that down. And it's a comforting thought to know... I'll stand before the Lord. I'll look back on the life of service and not regret what I did for Jesus. Those of you that were here for Sunday school, doesn't this cover, doesn't this match what we, what we talked about? Wherefore we labor, so that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Why do we work? Because we know one day we're going to stand before the Lord and we want to be found accepted. Somebody asked me this week, they said, Brother Mike, do you miss... America. Um, Yes and no. Like the physical ground, no. You guys got dirt too. (laughs) Do 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 I miss life in America? Sometimes, especially when the Yule Plos has the music going boom, boom, boom. Yes, I miss America because in America that's illegal please pass that law. Somebody. If the law is already in existence, enforce that law. Please, dear God, make that law happen. There are parts of America I miss, sure. I miss my sister. She's, she's a saved, born again, Bible-believing Christian, loves God. Husband's a saved man, loves the Lord, serves God, busy in the church. I really wish I could spend time with her. Face FaceTime, you know, on an iPhone, FaceTime is not the same as spending time with someone. It, it's close, but it's not the real thing. My dad, bless his heart, he's in his 70s. I bought him an iPhone while I was back last year and I, I showed him how to FaceTime. And and bless his heart, he doesn't understand that when you FaceTime, you need to hold the phone back here so I can see your face. He holds the phone right here. So all I see is his forehead the whole time. I love getting to see him, even if it's a little part. It's a little bit of his FaceTime. I miss getting to spend time with my sister. There's some preacher friends and some good Christian friends in America I miss. I don't get to see them ever. I haven't been to any of the churches that support me now. It's been seven years. I've been in South Africa seven years. Most missionaries take a break after four. But I love you guys so much. I've stayed. (laughs) I miss them. It's hard sometimes when I think about the fellowship I'm missing out on. But some of you know exactly what I mean. I've preached the funerals of your loved ones. I've sat by the side of some of you if you said goodbye to somebody that you dearly love. And what a comforting thought it is to know that that loved one died in Christ, that loved one was saved, and that it's not goodbye, it's see you later. I'm not saying... You, you, do you understand? Believing in this doesn't stop them from dying. It doesn't stop the problems from happening, but it makes it a whole lot easier to go through the problem. It makes it easier to say, I will see you in the sweet by and by. Knowing that they're home with the Lord. Knowing that their suffering, their pain is over. I love the thought, no more pills, no more bills. <laughs> What a great thing, right? No more pills, no more pills. I, I was going to put that in Afrikaans and say "pillikies," because you guys say pillikis. But there's no such thing as a billiky. All bills are big. <laughs> there's no such thing as a claim billiky. <laughs> no more pills. No more bills. No more ills. It's all done. You know, every now and then it, it won't hurt you, dear friend, to take a moment and just think about your next vacation spiritually. And think, okay, this is a little tough and I'm having to really hang on tight because there's some rough times. But I know one day I'll see the loved ones again. The work will be worth it all. My faith will turn to sight. And what a comforting thought. It'll give you the energy you need to keep going. Paul said, this is how I want you to use this information. Don't fight amongst yourselves about is he coming this way or that way? Is he? Is he uh, are we going to be... Draped in a golden body. Don't fight about that. Comfort one another with these words. Remind each other that the Lord is coming. And that the work will be worth it. The trouble will end. Now let's look at chapter 5 and verse number 1. Chapter 5 and verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now see, Paul, he could have... He could have gone into 20 verses there about the timing and the seasons and said, okay, now here's what we should expect. But he says, guys, there's no need because, verse 2, yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Paul didn't know the date of the rapture. And he clearly tells us we're not going to know the date of it either. So so no need to waste time trying to figure all that stuff out. He says in verse 3, for when they shall say, peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Did you notice what happened? In verse 1 and 2, he's talking to Yala. Yala, do you see that? Ye, Yella, so Yala, Yala, Yala. And then in verse 3, he switches over to Hala. It sounds better in Afrikaans. In English, ye and they, but Yala, Hala. Yala, 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 Hala, Hala, Hala. then back to verse 4, Yala, Yala, it's a new rap record (laughs) the yellow hullah. what's up (laughs) that's going on youtube that'll be great (laughs) you guys didn't know i had that in me did you yeah man yeah okay enough of that enough of that Paul says, you guys, verse 1 and 2, you guys, I don't need to go into a long thing about when the Lord's coming back because you know that he comes as a thief in the night. And a thief never tells us beforehand that he's coming. Right? I mean, South Africa, we know something about thieves. We do. And they they never knock on the door the day before and say, I'll be here tomorrow at 2. They don't do that. Now, Now, we are privy to this information. How? We have access to the words of Jesus. Jesus himself out of his own mouth said, I come as a thief in the night. And because of that, he says, be ye therefore ready for in such an hour as ye think not the son of man cometh." He doesn't say now, because I'm not telling you the exact time, go study your Bible real deep and figure out the time. I know a lot of Christians that do that. He says now, because you don't know the day or the hour. Here's what I want you to do about it. Just be ready. Be rapture ready. We know He's coming. But the lost world, do they believe that Jesus is coming again? No. That's verse 3. They say peace and safety. They think everything's going to be fine. And then all of the sudden, bam, it goes horribly wrong with them. And then he switches back in verse four back to Yella. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Does that mean we know the day and hour? No. It just means we know that this blessed thief is coming. You say, now that's that's strange that Jesus would refer to himself as a thief. Well, a thief comes when you don't expect. That matches. And a thief comes into the house and takes the most valuable things, the most precious things to him, and leaves the rest. That's what a thief does. He leaves behind things that are not precious to him. I'll let you chew on that for a while. He says, brethren, you're not in darkness. You know that Jesus is coming, so you should be ready. Verse 5, ye are all the children of light. You, you have this knowledge, this Information And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor in darkness. Now he's going to talk about your behavior for a moment. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Paul, what do you mean by sleep? Well, we learn what he means by that from reading the last part of the verse. Let us watch and be sober. Pay attention. Be sober. Be vigilant, Peter said. For your adversary the devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour, right? Well, Jesus said, watch therefore. Watch and pray. We know he's coming back, so we should be careful about how we live. We should be paying attention to what's going on around us in the world. And listen to this. And how we are affecting it. Look at verse 6 again. Let us not sleep. That would be not paying attention. That would be ignoring how you're affecting others. Let us not sleep as do others. I like what Paul does there. He brings, in, he brings to our attention others. There's the yalla, yalla, yalla. Now he brings it back to well, don't forget about the hulla. Now, not only is he telling us don't live like the rest of the world. Don't live in darkness. Don't live in that sleepy state of Christ. Don't live like that. But indirectly we're, we're reminded there are other people out there that are affected by the way we live. And if we live just like they do, then there is nothing that would signal to them or warn them of the coming danger. When they see us living differently, it gives us a chance to tell them why we're living differently. How many of you remember this verse? You've heard this before. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to them. That ask of you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What's your hope? We're studying it today. Our blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What would trigger somebody to ask us. Why are you acting like this? Why do you patiently endure the persecution, go through all the struggles and labor to serve this Lord? Because Jesus said he's coming back and I believe every word he said and I want to be ready and I want you to be ready too. He says in verse number 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. Now see that's not us, we're children of the day. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. If you notice generally now, I know that there are some exceptions to this, but generally people wait till the darkness falls to get into all this sort of fleshly trouble. I don't know about you, I know this is true for me. I look my best in a dark room. (laughs) Amen? That's when I look my best, is when you can't see everything. You turn the lights on and it exposes every fault, every flaw. So it's much easier to do certain sins in a dark place. But as Christians, he says, now listen guys, we're not children of the night or darkness. We're of the day, we're of the light, so we need to live like that. We, we shouldn't have to be ashamed of what we're doing We should have our lives as an open book so that the world can see it and say, I I have nothing to hide you. You can see why I'm doing what I'm doing. Listen, guys, if we live in the light now, it will make it a lot easier when Jesus shows up. Listen, he is light. He is the light of the world. The Bible says God is light. It'll make it a whole lot easier to stand before God in that beautiful light if you've been living in the light now. That's what Paul's warning us about. Be careful how you live. This is an edifying hope. You see, it helps us. That's what edifying is. It it builds us up. It makes us better Christians. It warns us of our behavior. Not only for us as individuals. So that we are not ashamed when Jesus shows up. But we're also reminded about the others. And how we are affecting them. So it edifies you. And it should edify everyone around you. In verse number 8, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. We, we put that on as a breastplate. That's close to our heart, faith and love. Those are the things that we want people to see coming from us. And for helmet, the hope of salvation. We guard our minds with this knowledge that Jesus is coming back. Paul says, put these things on. These are the things that people should see in us. Verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. We know we're not going to be in harm's way when the battle of Armageddon starts. God's not appointed us to that. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. When the trumpet sounds, my body's going to be changed and my salvation will be complete. Right now, in a technical way, I'm two-thirds saved. My soul has been washed in the blood and sealed. My spirit has been born again by, by joining it to Jesus. Now my body needs fixing. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that when Jesus comes, my body gets saved. He, he makes this body into a new body. And the, these are great ideas. I'm glad. Wow. Perfectly timed. In verse number 10, it says, who died for us. That's Of course, the Lord Jesus who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep. So that's whether we are alive and remain or we're one of the dead in Christ. Either way, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The reason Paul told us about the rapture was not to make our heads swell with prophetic knowledge but to help us have better fellowship with Jesus Christ, to comfort us, to edify us, and to help us edify others. And then he gets to verse number 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. He says, you guys have been helping each other. I am giving you more information so that you can do it even more. You know why I want to learn the Bible better? So I can help more people. You know why you should want to come to every Bible class that you can. I know that you can't come to every single one of them. But you should come to all of them that you can. So that you're better prepared to help others. So that you know more about these things. To get more comfort. More knowledge to share. I'd like to take you to 2 Peter chapter 2 to finish this sermon. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2 and in verse number 4 we'll begin reading in Second Peter chapter 2 Peter is warning us about false teachers and false prophets if you guys have been around Christianity much at all you've heard about a prosperity gospel you guys have heard preachers talk about how you can name it and claim it and have anything you want if you just say the magic words you know Peter directly condemns that in verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm just setting the context for you. He says that there will be preachers that make merchandise of you, that turn the church into a business. He prophesied that 2,000 years ago. He was right on the money. That's exactly what it's turned into. And now he's going to talk in verses 4 down through the rest of the passage about the destruction or the punishment that these men await. Or that await these men, rather. In verse 4 it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, he's just telling us about... How in the end of a certain time period, there's a destruction. Things do not get better and better and better until a kingdom shows up. Things, God starts it off perfect and then man ruins it and it gets worse and worse and worse until a massive cataclysm happens. And then we start over. That's how we read the Bible throughout it. When God told Noah, Noah, my heart is broken because of how these people are living. Every imagination of their thought is only evil continually. You guys remember that from Genesis 6? Every imagination of their thoughts is only evil continually. Noah, I'm going to flood the place. I'm going to start over with you. Build a boat. You know what Noah did? He took that information of this massive Armageddon-like event... And he started building the boat, just like God told him. And the Bible tells us in verse number 5, he was a preacher of righteousness. He took that information. And he went out to the people and started telling them, repent. Repent, the end is coming. Repent. A flood is going to happen. The Lord is going to judge. Repent. And he began to tell people how to get right. No one listened. Outside of his own family, no one listened, but that didn't stop Noah from preaching the truth. I want to ask you this today. Are you you making the truth available to the people around you? Are you inviting them into the ark, which we call Christ? Are you trying to get them to safety? Are you using your knowledge about future events to edify and help someone? Noah did. You know what I bet they asked him? Noah, why are you building that boat? Don't you know that's a conversation starter? Forget the elephant in the room. There's an ark in the room. (laughs) Noah, why are you building the boat? Well, the Lord's fed up with mankind. He's going to start over and he told me to build this boat and bring some animals. And God's going to bring them and put them in. Bring the animals? How many? I don't know. God said he'd bring them. I don't know. Yeah, but, but, but I want to know how many, because there's a lot of species in the world. I want to know. And if, I, if you can't tell me how many species are going to be in the ark, I'm not going to believe in it. I said, man, you can believe what you want. I don't know. God didn't give me those details, but he told me an end's coming. And if you don't get in the ark, you're going to die. <laughs> well, you if you don't know all the little small details about the ark, I'm not going to get in it. Well, okay, man, you can stay outside the ark if you want, but you're going to get wet and drown and die. But that didn't stop Noah. He just kept building the boat. Are you Noah? Say, I know about end times. Good. What are you doing with it? Comfort with... Do you comfort people? Do do you take it to the holla, to the others and try to warn them? Now, if you're not Noah, there's a chance you're the other guy. Verse 6. Here's the next example. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes... Condemn them with an overthrow, making them an an example, we would say, unto those that after should live ungodly. So Peter gives us two examples of the end times. The days of Noah and the days of Lot. Where do you think he learned that? That's Luke chapter 17. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Lot. So after Peter heard that, he said, Oh, days of Noah is it? Days of Lot. Okay, let me let me go back to Genesis. Let me let me read a little bit about and he starts studying his Bible to figure out how to act and how not to act. I'll be like Noah, not like Lot. What did Lot do? Verse 7. It says, And delivered just Lot. As not only Lot. But he delivered just Lot in that he was a righteous man. Delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, watch this, dwelling among them. You go back and read Genesis 19. Lot had found a way to fit in with that sodomite society. So much so that when they came knocking at the door demanding that Lot send out those angels that looked like men. He said, now brethren... Oh, now something's wrong when you can say to that sodomite crowd, now brethren, something's gone drastically wrong. It says, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Watch what it says carefully there. It says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day. They didn't vex him. That's not what it says. It says he vexed himself. He vexed his righteous soul. He put himself there. He could have left Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have sanctified himself. He could have awakened out of his sleep. He could have arisen to righteousness. He could have left Sodom and said, Now what you guys are doing are wrong. And God's not going to stand for this. He could have set the example but he didn't. So, you know what happened? When the angel showed up and said, Lot, do you have anybody else here with you in town? You have sons, daughters, anybody else? Lot, you need to go warn them now. You need to go tell them because we're about to rain down fire and brimstone. This place is going to turn to ash here in just a few minutes. Go tell them now. You know what Lot did? He ran out, he ran down to his daughter's house with his son in law. Uh, What do you want, Paul? Guys, you guys got to get out of town. The Lord sent some angels and they just took, there's going to be a massive destruction. You got to get out of town. (laughs) Paul, you've been telling us these stories since we were little. You think we believe any of them fairy tales written in Genesis? And I said, listen, guys, I'm not kidding. The Lord's not playing around. He's upset. He's going to rain down fire on this place. You got to get out of (laughs) here. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him. They couldn't take him seriously. Why? Lot's been living right there in the middle of Sodom. Right down the road from them. There was nothing that would indicate to them that Lot takes God any more serious than they do. Let me ask you this morning. Are you rapture ready? Does that mean I know the day and hour? Nope. You know the Lord's coming. Now, if you're rapture ready, you comfort others. You edify others. You use that knowledge to warn people so that they can come to Christ before the trouble starts. Are you Noah? Or are you Lot? You rapture ready? I hope so. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for a minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. There might be several things that I do not know about the second coming of Christ. Several things I don't know about prophecy. I'm not so much worried about what I don't know. I'm concerned what I do know, and what I do know is that Jesus is coming back. So why do you believe that? What proof do you have? He said so, and since he rose from the grave, good enough for me. I believe every word he said. I don't have enough faith to bet against him. Friend, if you're here today and you've never been saved... I'd like to lovingly warn you today that the end will come one day. I don't know when. Either the end of time or the end of your life, but one of those two is going to get you. Are you ready? Have you been saved? Are you in Christ, that spiritual ark? Are you safe in Him? you've never been saved would you do me a favor I'd like to pray for you but I'm not going to point you out okay I'm not going to embarrass you would you just slip your hand up you can put it right back down I'd just like to know who I'm praying for anybody like that say pastor if the rapture happened today I'm not sure I'm ready thank you I appreciate that honesty anyone else hey pastor pray for me not sure I'm saved thank you all, I appreciate the honesty now, I take it that a lot of you here then are saved But are you rapture ready? Do you love his appearing? Are you using that knowledge the way Paul intended it to be used? It's important to know the details as much as you can. We don't want to be ignorant. But let's use those details correctly. Are you Noah or are you Lot? Are you a child of the day that lives lives for the night? How do you think you're affecting those others? People you could help, but you're not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. Paul says, I speak this to your shame. Father, thank you for giving us all the information we need. You've told us plenty. You've proven to us that we can believe what you say. Lord, if there's some broken hearts here today, might they find comfort and rest? In the thought of being with you one day. This could be their light at the end of the tunnel. Lord help us to take this knowledge and use it to be a a help to others. To build them up. Father I pray for that hand that went up. God draw that soul to you. Might today be the day they receive Christ as their savior. Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Lord, please, please bring us back safely tonight. We'd like to hear more from you and your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.